1: podcast
2: all right welcome back to episode 104 this is your boy east coast trev joined by our good friend this is steve just steve man hanging in the the virginia studio what's up buddy ah same old man just hanging out doing my
1: thing trying to count down the days until the real season opener and trying to go through gear prep man
2: real season opener what does that mean
1: well we got the early season and we went through and um uh, we gotta do some hunting. Everything went out well for an early doe hunt except for the guy driving through the field. Oh really? So that, that's That's uh, completely wild. Yeah. It all set up, deer in the field, everything was ready to go. Dude just bombed right through the field in his truck.
2: Oh uh, so. Scared all the deer away. Yeah,
1: it's it's
2: wild. Damn. That sounds like kind of, and that was, you guys are what, on that, uh, with Peter? Yeah, that was From with Hunt Peter. Country Wildlife, yeah. Doing that management hunting you were talking about? More or less. That's crazy, dude. That's nuts. So they have an early doe season down there that you got to join in on. That's why you're saying you're waiting for the regular season.
1: Yeah, because that's only in specific counties and certain places throughout the state, and it delineates some just early doe. Some of it's in early season for, uh, you know, ag depop tags things like that so
2: that's nuts we got out and tried but yeah new york just had one of those seasons also uh which is a new thing for them which i kind of believe that all the laws that they actually passed in new york
1: well virginia
2: new york like so
1: many rich high-end people can hit deer before they go we need to get rid of some deer
2: Yeah. See here in Connecticut, it's like a silent thing that like nobody really talks about. (laughs) It's there, right? Like the management part of it, but they just, it's not like a big thing that they broadcast. Well, here's the upside of
1: it is all the people coming from New York going up to you. Maybe they'll uh, bring some of those laws with them. Mm, I hope so. I honestly do. They'll say, Hey, we hit less cars when we started doing this in New York. We should try it here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's nuts. It's so true. They definitely need it. We don't actually – no, I really don't want them to bring that here because, well, that to be honest with you. they have to you, go there. Well, not even that, but the thing is, like, I I would rather, in my personal opinion, have, like, a one or two buck state right. where not shooting – I mean, we can shoot seven deer in a season here. 17 right. deer. That's nuts, dude. That's not even – that's not including the um, management zones on the, on the shore where you can bait these right. unlimited tags like come on man we don't need that we need to we need to 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 stricten it i mean look at some of these other states that are one two buck states they're shooting real deer mm-hmm. you know i mean they're here you know like the guys on some of the private land and stuff shoot absolute monsters i mean we talk about it all the time but i mean the public land and all around i mean if you're if you're not that lucky to have one of those good good properties you know yeah, it's just you, you don't thoughts. have that that option to it man exactly i'll tell you that Speaking of public land, dude, this week, so the season started off with us on the 15th. I worked in the morning, hunted in the afternoon, got into a spot where I had seen a ton of scrapes. There was like four within like 150 feet of each other, rubs. We had talked about this on the last podcast. And then, uh, so I got in there. I didn't see nothing, but it felt real good. Put a camera in there, put the Moultrie Delta in there. Um, haven't got any camera, any pictures back. I'm not sure if it's relaying properly. I might have to go back in and check that. But then I went to the same property, but on the other side of the property, um, on Wednesday, I hunted on Tuesday, went and dropped the I didn't even hunt. I went in and dropped the camera. It was way too hot and muggy. Um, or what was it? Was it Thursday. I'm sorry. And then Friday, I ended up hunting back at the same property that I hunted on opening day, but on a different side. And I decided that I was going to go up on this ridge that looked real good. Got up there, started looking around, was not what I was looking for. So I was like, all right, well, there's a small creek down in the bottom. I'm going to cross the creek and get up on the other ridge over there. Well, that was a horrible idea. Uh, I started going down there. It's a lot wider than I thought it was because the beavers had it all dammed up. And I'm like... (laughs) All right, well, I'm down here, so might as well cross across the the beaver dams, right, and then get up on the other side. Well, that was a horrible idea. I'll get 75%, 85% of the way across. I end up falling in the water. So now my boots, my socks, my shorts. <laughs> oh, I forgot one of the things. A lot of you guys know uh, that followed us from our last podcast was that not our last episode, but the last podcast that I was on, we used to have a segment called Trev's Bloopers. Well, I think we might bring something like that back if this keeps <laughs> going. or always maybe Trez bloopers on TikTok or something as, you know, uh, Tom Maligio had said. Um, but anyway, so I had gotten down there. I was, I left my house early, went live on my way down there. was all excited meeting up with, uh, my good buddy, Chris, uh, Brockett, not bracket, Brockett. <laughs> uh, he's actually my tax So, it's like 15 minutes before he's supposed to be there. I'm sitting there. I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, you know what? I should get my camo ready. I'll get ready, put all my stuff out. I turn around. None of my camo's in my car. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? What am I going to do? So I'm like, well, I'll just fly home. I'll go get my camo and I'll come back. It'll put me back here like quarter after 4, 430. I'll be fine. So I start driving home. I text Steve Martik. I was like, hey, dude. I says, I'm just an idiot, bro. He's like, why? I was like, I forgot my camo. He's like, that's all right. I'm not really hunting camo neither. And I was like, maybe you're right. I'll just hunt. So I got gym shorts and a black t-shirt. I'm like, screw it. I'm going saddle hunting, whatever. It's hot as hell anyways. I'm going to sweat. It's going to be bad. I'll just hunt in it anyways. So anyway, so then I go up on the ridge. Didn't work. So now I'm in my gym shorts. I'm crying across this creek when this like beaver damn thing. I end up falling in. I'm soaking wet. I'm miserable. I get up on the other side and there was a good amount of sign underneath this white oak tree but i was like i don't really want to get up in my saddle because then i'm just soaking wet and miserable this sucks so i was like you know what i'll just still hunt my way halfway back to the car and the other thing too was i was real far away from the road so i'm like well i've never walked out of here in the dark i've never walked through where you know what i'm saying yeah, So i've never cross been it through again that on the way out well, no, I could actually walk down the other side of the creek and, and walk it down the road, but I'm like 1,500 yards away from the road. So I'm like, now I have to walk down the side of there along the ridge back to my truck, and I've never walked through this woods before. I'm literally blind, and it's going to be dark. So I'm like, I'll just still hunt my way back down towards the road, and then I'll just do an observation, sit, and just sit somewhere on the ground. So that's what I did and I'm glad that I did because I found a ton of sign, a ton and it really put the property in perspective. So early season sucks for me sometimes because I get so like I get so mad at myself because you like try and find sign and then you get up that's one negative I guess about the, the saddle hunting or or mobile hunting in that. Like you get into an area, you're like all right, it looks good and then you're like, "Well, what tree do I get in now?" The only tree that I can find is right over the sign. You know, or there's like so many stupid things that happen and you're just like, oh, man, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? And then you're just, I don't know. I get so frustrated early season until like things are totally different. Like I suck at early season hunting because you have such high expectations and then you get there and it's not what you expect. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or it's it's just always so many like one offs, right? Like you're just. Yeah, yeah, you're always
1: jacked up. You just want to get out in the woods. You want to hunt. In your mind, it's like, oh, I want that first, that opening day buck, you know. And when you get in there, and it's like, oh man, I'm my my climb's not as smooth as it used to be, you know. I'm out of practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, this should have worked differently. Oh, I made a big clang. You know, you're just not into the routine, so it doesn't work out like it did in your mind. Yeah. And then you're just, just a, so you're a little frustrated, yeah. Ugh. And that's when it's like, you know what? Find a spot, get in the tree, set up, and just. Do it stupid simple.
2: The the thing is, I wish that I had done a little bit more pre scouting. So like, it wasn't a spot that I had pre scouted. We had we had kind of pre scouted it, but found good sign. But I didn't want to go into where I was, where I was actually did my pre scouting in. Right. I, we were trying somewhere new, you know. So it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of like a running gun. Like I enjoy doing that because sometimes that really pays off like just pick a property go there and hunt
0: yeah. like
2: look at the maps go there and hunt like mm-hmm. we, we did it in virginia you know what i'm saying like it's fun like it can pay off but it can also be the most frustrating thing you've ever done
1: yeah because there's no worse nothing worse than putting a gamble on let's move to the x and you drop in and you move to the x and you get to the x and you realize the x sucks mm-hmm. and now you got to try to make it work
2: so stupid but it is what it is, man. The season is just around the corner where it's going to start to cool down. Things are going to start paying off. Your season's not even open yet. When, do, when does your season come in? Uh, first weekend in October. That's nuts. So so that's it's big, man. That's huge. That's, it's, it's absolutely nuts. I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's a lot of things to come for this season. I really do. You know, a couple of stupid bloopers is nothing. That's normal. <laughs> that's we'll get those things out of the That's a week learning week. curve. That, that's yeah, why man. Connecticut
1: opens a couple weeks earlier. So you can get it out of your system.
2: Ugh, it's all good. Everything's good now. We're back to normal. I had messed up and I thought that I needed the XL latitude s- saddle, but instead I needed the regular one. Thank God I had both of them, you know, to try mm-hmm. out. They sent me both of them because if I didn't, I wouldn't know. And I'd still be miserable. And I was like, <laughs> I haunted out of it once. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. And then we had gone with Marduk and Matt from virtual, uh, virtual ground outdoors, we were over there hanging out yesterday, and I put on the actual saddle from the regular saddle because I was showing Marduk it. I'm like, wow, this fits so much better. It's just stupid things, man, just quirks. Like, you just mm-hmm. mess around and play around with things, and that's what it's all about, dude. And then, you know, it's everyone's going to be like, oh, he's a Googan, He's so Googanish. and then I'll just shoot an absolute giant, and then. We'll move on with the season. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) Steve?
1: Guggen. So everyone not on the East Coast, Trev, I need you to define Guggen and what it is.
2: Well, Guggen is like just – I don't really know the actual definition. I mean, the thoughts in my mind about a Guggen is just like an absolute idiot that doesn't have a clue, and then sometimes how, like, succeeds. Like, they have – you look at them and you're like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, you're – everything that you do is completely wrong but then you still succeed and you succeed better than the guy that's trying his ass off gotcha. and knows what he's doing it's a it's actually a fishing term yeah yeah and G- I use it very baits, freely you know yeah just straight just straight idiots like dumb 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 people like they, they can they, they just have no weekend warriors like I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean it like that. Like, <laughs> I was going to say, man, that's
1: weekend... like 90% of our, our listeners, man. No, I'm <laughs> You're sorry. You're all Googans. <laughs> I'm sorry. No.
2: So in the fishing world, right? So like charter guys, we're out there making a living. So we're out there every day. And then the weekend guys come out and it's nothing to them, man. It's really not. But they come out and then they just follow us around and then they're trying to fish and they're fish. They have no idea where they are. They just fish next to us and then they end up catching a ton of fish and that's a Googan. So. But I use it. In the, I use call it, too it for a
1: good. I, I call that, you know, using everything to your advantage.
2: Yeah, but that's a good way to get ran over by another boat. Yeah, but
1: if I go out there and I go, hey, they're, they're catching fish here, I'm going to go ahead and mark that spot. Now they get out there and they can fish that spot, and when they have luck, okay. That's I mean, a horrible it's, idea. It's no... Well, <laughs> in the water, <laughs> yes, I get that. But, I mean, it's no different than someone going, hey, I saw somebody post a picture of this buck on Facebook. And then go find where that buck picture was taken and go, Ugh. oh, this is where he is. Yeah, you but. Know, it's letting someone else do the work for you and then you go in there and capitalize.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a horrible idea. Horrible idea. <laughs> I don't recommend
1: anyone does this, by the way. I'm just yeah, saying. that's what I'm saying. If right. you're limited to the weekend and you get six or seven hours, yeah, I'm going to follow the charter. That motherfuckers know right. what they're doing.
2: <laughs> so true. So true. It is what it is, but whatever. Seasons are right around the corner. That's what I'm ready for quickly as long as the Gugans stay out of my way <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to the clown trend
2: uh
1: i i haven't heard anybody making jokes about shooting clowns on opening day this year no it just kind of faded off maybe it's because one or two of them actually got shot and hit and ran over and <laughs> that they realized this is probably a bad idea
2: this is true yeah. Totally bad idea.
1: You made me think Gugan's on opening day, and for some reason all I could think of was all the fake memes about people shooting clowns.
2: Clowns. Because the clown apocalypse.
1: Yeah, well. Well, man, what do you say? <sighs> I think we need to uh get ourselves informed on what's going on in the world. Let's go. Bringing you the news for the crews is our
3: good buddy, Mike Salter. Take it
1: away, Mike.
3: Hey everyone, we're going to kick this one off in New York where the DEC has proposed a new regulation for the holiday deer hunt. Now I reported on that holiday deer hunt two weeks ago is being approved and is scheduled for December 26th through January 1st in the Southern Zone. The DEC is now proposing a regulation to allow counties to opt out of that holiday deer hunt. This proposal is in response to communities and stakeholders raising concerns about landowners preventing snowmobile access to trail networking that, cross, that crosses private land during that week-long hunt. If adopted, counties would need to adopt a local law annually uh, prohibiting hunting during uh, that week-long holiday deer hunt. This year, counties that adopt such a law will need to send a copy of the adopted law to DEC by December 25th. And in future years, counties would need to submit the law adoption uh, by May 1st. So what this means is that hunters need to stay updated on whether or not they can hunt those counties up until the day uh, the hunt starts, uh, since the, law, the local laws only need to be submitted a, you know by a day before opening of that season. Uh, DEC is taking public comment on the proposal through November 14th. Comments can be submitted in writing. Um, Contact me for the address if you'd like to do that, or by email to wildliferegs at dec.ny.gov. Also, a couple follow-ups on my note last week about EHD and CWD reports. First in New York uh, is currently being hit hard by EHD with 700 reported uh, whitetail deaths. EHD has been confirmed in Columbia, Dutchess, Green, Nassau, Oswego, Suffolk, and Ulster counties. And DEC is tracking sus- suspected cases in Albany, Jefferson, Oneida, Orange, Putnam, Rensselaer, Rockland, Sullivan, and Westchester counties. Uh, hunters are being asked to report any beer suspected of dying from EHD to the nearest DEC regional wildlife office. Now to Kentucky and some new regulations for the five county CWD surveillance zone. This includes Fulton, uh, Hickman, Graves, Callaway, and Marshall counties. Any deer, elk, moose, or caribou carcasses being moved within or through the surveillance zone must have a carcass tag visible from the outside with the hunter and pr- or processor information clearly shown. Entire carcasses, unclean skulls, spines, unclean bones, or bone-in quarters harvested within the surveillance zone may not be taken outside of the zone. All deer harvested in the surveillance zone during modern gun or muzzleloader season must be taken to a check station. This does include harvest by license-exempt hunters, such as landowners hunting on their own property. Uh, And all baiting and feeding is prohibited in the surveillance zone. Agriculture, food plots, bird feeders, houses, and fur bear trapping are not prohibited, uh, but trappers cannot use grain, salt, or minerals. Uh, now to Arizona for another update. Arizona has finalized their trail camera ban, and that will take take effect starting January 1st of 2022. Lastly, uh, an opportunity for anyone looking to learn about waterfowl hunting here in Connecticut. Connecticut Delta Waterfowl will be holding a Coastal Marsh Hunting Training Day this Sunday, September 26th. Training will include learning ways to walk safely in tidal areas, good places to set up a blind, dangers to consider, and how the habits of migrating waterfowl can affect your hunt. The training will be held at Barn Island Wildlife Management Area, meeting in the Boat Launch Parking Lot on Palmer Neck Road in Stonington, Connecticut. It will be from 9 to noon and drinks and snacks will be provided. Waiters, which are preferred or muck boots are required and if you'd like to attend you'll need to rsvp via email to ctdelta at gmail.com so a great opportunity for anyone interested in getting into waterfowl hunting uh thank you to a couple people you know they've been sending stuff in stephen carpenter gave me a couple of those so keep that stuff rolling in some good stuff heading into some of the seasons here uh, it's greatly appreciated you can reach out to me at mike salter on facebook or bearded underscore bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Good old Mike
2: Salter, man. I did have the chance to hang out with him this weekend, man. What a blessing it totally is. Yeah, I was looking at the
1: pictures. He's definitely like the red-haired brother you never had.
2: Yeah, he's a a ginger.
1: Same build, same look, everything. Seeing you guys side by side, it's like... Gingers have no souls, though. Well, we know that. So he's
2: like my twin with no soul.
1: (laughs) And Actually,
2: it was, you know something really funny. So we were we were sitting there talking. Uh, it was a bunch of guys. We were at a clam bake at
1: uh, Mike's Club. Yeah, who all was there? You had a, you had a cast of clowns in that one.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we had Steve Martik, uh good old Dan, Mike, and uh, Tom. Um, and it was funny as we're all standing, there, we're all talking. They're all smoking cigarettes. And uh, one of the guys goes, "Is that your brother?" Like, huh? Like, no, that's not my brother. They're talking about Tom, and uh, I'm like, no, that's not my brother. Why? He goes, is it your son? I'm like, no. (laughs) Tom's older than me by two years, and no, it's not. I was like, why? Because we're we have a beard, (laughs) like we're blue collar guys. I'm not really sure. But no, it was definitely cool. We got to see it. There was a a good amount of people, good turnout, good to hang out with the boys locally. I mean, it's just after, you know, now the season getting going and seeing all those guys. So it was kind of fun. We got to do that this weekend. So that was cool. I appreciate the invite there, Mike. Really appreciate it. So Yeah,
1: I'm glad you guys got to hang out and catch up. Now, were were you guys at a a clam bake or clam baking?
2: Clam, Clam bake. Clam bake.
1: Not not like the down in a van by the river clam bake, but no like legitimately no, no, no. baking clams. Yeah.
2: yeah, they were they had a big clam, like they like steam them. we had a raw bar. They had did like a half a chicken with um potatoes. Uh they did like this like steamed onion type thing, like a whole onion, like half onion. It was huh. absolutely oh, amazing. Yeah. I was like, Wow, that's incredible. Um, it was good food, good time. This club always has some good stuff. Always Mike always invites us over there so we get to do that. So yeah i that's just
1: cool just guys. wanted to clarify because you know again yeah. the the coastal people know what you mean you mm. go inland and you that hey we're gonna have a clam bake it it's got a different yeah, it's, meaning it's so true. though it's so true. pretty much legal everywhere now yeah but i still wanted to clarify you guys weren't sitting down on the coast just
2: getting down smoked. on the river that's true oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, man i'm excited about this episode truly something i've definitely been looking forward to especially living up here in in new england and the big woods um, and this one came out from uh, a couple of our listeners actually recommended that we did this one with uh, Mr. Hal Blood. So, why don't we get this thing underway?
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's roll right in. All right.
2: All right. We're back on the phone with Hal Blood from Upstate Maine. How you doing, Hal?
0: If I was doing any better, there'd be two of me.
2: Yeah, that's a good thing. I do, first off, before we get too underway, I I really do want to thank you for your service uh, being a retired Marine vet.
0: Well, I'm not retired. I didn't stay that long, but I I am a vet. Yeah. We appreciate it. Four years was enough for me. I had too much hunting to do to stick around.
2: (laughs) I don't blame you there
0: at all. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for your (laughs) service.
2: So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you do?
0: So um, I'm just an old guy that's been been, uh, traipsed in the woods since I was a little kid. Tell people, I don't know why, but ever since I was – my mother would let me go out for the day, you know, when I was five or six years old, I always had it into the woods and just was always curious about everything. And uh, it was in Maine, in Maine, you couldn't hunt, carry a gun till you were 10, but I always had a BB gun before that, shot everything that was alive with a BB gun, every bird and everything else. And, uh, and then when I was 10, I started rabbit hunt with my grandfather. He had beagles and we went rabbit hunting I started deer hunt when I was 10, but I grew up in, in Southern Maine. But like I said, back then it was in the sixties. It was still rural. You know what I mean? It was, and, uh, but there wasn't a lot of deer in Southern Maine back then. It's completely turned around all, all the deer now are in Southern central Maine. In the big woods of Northern Maine, there's less deer because they've basically, you know, they, they cut all the deer yards in the wintering areas. So it's, it's changed around. But when I grew up, it was hard hunting. I mean, it was a big deal to shoot a deer down there and it was either sex. You could shoot anything. And my father, he used, he'd get a deer about every four or five years and that was it. And, uh. So, anyways, I started deer hunting, rabbit hunting, and any other kind of hunting I could do. And and uh, and then when I was sixteen and I got to go down to the family's lodge, which was further down the coast a little bit, and there was a lot more deer there when I was like a kid in a candy store. And I hunted there for about five years. I hunted there until I got out of the Marine Corps. So I, I hunted there till about Yeah, about five years. And then when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had to get a job because I just got married. And I wanted to be a game warden because I figured that would keep me in the woods. But they weren't even taking applications. So I said, I got to get a job. So I just I went down to a food warehouse, Hannaford's, and got a job in the warehouse. And I started in like July so I didn't have a vacation that year. And then the next year I got a week's vacation. And back then, northern, the northern zone, it opened a week earlier than down the southern zone. There was three weeks in the south and four in the north. And that's the only vacation pick I could get because I didn't have any seniority. And i had been fishing up here since I was 16 with the relatives up in Jackman area. And I always saw deer and we saw deer tracks. So I said, I'm going to go up there and hunt deer. So I talked my father into going and we had a pop up camper with fiberglass panels. We had a Coleman heater and a Coleman stove and a Coleman lantern first week in November. And it was about 15, 20 degrees every night. And we liked the froze to death in that thing you'd fire up the heater in the morning to cook breakfast and the condensation on them panels would start dripping all over. It was like raining inside. My father said, I'm not going again. You get some better accommodations. (laughs) And that's how I got started. And from the first trip I made up here, that first week I spent here, I never could hunt in Southern Maine again. All I wanted to do was be up in this woods because it was so big and You never saw a hunter in the woods and was wild country and even that would have been 1980 I made my first trip here up north for deer and I never hunted in southern Maine again since but I re I realized real quick that the deer were totally different and we'd get a little snow and I'd track around you know and just they just went so far it was just different but I like the woods, you know what I mean? I just like being in the woods. And so I'd, I'd come every year. I only, I ended up coming another year on vacation and then I quit my job anyways. And and I worked for my father-in-law. I started lobster with my father-in-law and I'd still, I'd take a week then. And, and then I started my own lobster business and then I couldn't really take a week all the time because I owed a lot of money. So I'd take a few days when the wind was blowing and come up. And, uh, I tell people, you know, if people look at what I do now, but I didn't start out that way. It took me, uh, seven years to kill my first buck track. And I stumbled and fumbled and I didn't have snow all the time every year, but I, when I did, I was, tra- I was taking tracks and trying to learn and, I didn't have anybody to teach me. I just, the, the bucks were teaching me. That's all. And, and after I killed some other bucks, either on big ground or whatever, but not tracking. And then after, uh, seven years, I killed my first one track and a 10 pointer. And then it was straight ahead from there. It was almost like the light bulb come on, you know, it was all of a sudden, Oh, that's how it's done. Right. And, uh, I've had pretty good success ever since. So, so what, that's kind of how everything kind of materialized.
2: That's wild. It's it's so crazy to me, like the whole tracking thing. Like, what do you even do? Like, where does it even start? Like big woods to me, like you're talking thousands and thousands of acres that you're trying to hunt. Like, what are you what are you looking for? Like you're not gonna look at a topographical map and say, This is where I'm gonna go or whatever. Like, where do you where do you even begin?
0: Well. You can, you, I always use topo maps back, back when I started hunting, there wasn't nothing else. There was no GPS, there was none of that stuff you guys have now. So I would, I had all the topo maps of this area and I would look at them and find places that looked likely. I mean, it doesn't tell you what the woods is, what the trees are, but what I always did was find the most remote places where other people wasn't hunting. I didn't want to be around anybody. So I'd walk back into them places and, and either scout early, you know, before the season and, and then, but most of my scouting to tell you the truth and still is, is during the deer season. Cause I'm always finding the next good place. Some buck I'm tracking is going to take me to the next good place. And that's most of my scouting's done. I don't, if I do any scouting at all before the season, I might say, I'm going to go check this out. Or maybe it's a place I hunted 15, 20 years ago, and I'm going to go in and check it out again. It's always the week before the season. I don't go any earlier than that because there's no sense in it. Once the leaves are off, been off for a week or so, you can see the tracks. They start laying down. They don't lay down any sign here to speak of until late, no late October, or even the first week in November before there's really much for rubs or scrapes or anything, because the deer population is low, right? There ain't enough deer to make a lot of sign. So they, you ain't going to find it like you do in farm country where they start making scrapes in the, the end of September, you know, ain't happening. So there's no sense of scouting because you ain't going to find no fresh sign, right? So that's what I do. But to find a buck tracking, you're just looking for a track. So if you know there's deer there, or you know there's, it's likely that they're there, you just start walking. A Lot of people still do. The majority of the people that track are still trying to find a track driving around the road. They got that from the Benoits, you know, years ago, they always drove the roads. I tell people for every buck track that crosses a road, there's 10 more that didn't. So where are you going to hunt the road? Are you going to get in the woods where there's nine more bucks and you'll see from the road, right? Mm-hmm. So I just drive to where I'm going, try to get there about daylight and strike off in the woods. And I'll usually make my, like I'm, I'm planning on the day pick up a track if I'm lucky I'll pick one up real early if not I might pick one up at noontime doesn't matter but I usually go in big huge circles for miles and cut the ridges across the valleys and just I do it in a way that it's most likely like if you're up against a mountain on a mountain or a ridge they're going to travel from ridge to ridge mountain to mountain there's just natural places where they're probably gonna get there. Well, that's where I go. It's most likely where you're going to find a track. I don't go very many days. I don't go any day without finding a buck track, but I'm, I'm particular about what size track I'm going to take now. So I may not find a track for a day or two of one that I want to follow. I, if they, if they are a 200 pound, buck i probably not going to take it i'm going to take the one that's 225 or 250 you know i don't want to it sounds crazy to most people because they'd be they'd be dying to kill a 200 pound grass buck but i've killed enough of them i'm trying to kill usually the bigger ones and if you kill them early they'll weigh a lot if you kill them thanksgiving week thank a muzzleload a week they ain't going to weigh that much you know but it don't matter the, that's how you find the the older deer, you know what I mean the big tracks those are the old old mature deer six seven eight nine, ten years old you know
2: so how do you when you come up on a track, longer. how do you know what track is a two hundred plus
0: because I've seen thousands of them.
2: So, so pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> so you pretty much have to follow the track to see what you got going, like a newer person, right? So they would have to come on a buck track, follow that track, and then determine that it's 200 or whatever. Yeah. You can't really tell unless seeing I tell
0: people, if you're a new tracker, you take any track you can find and see if you can see that deer. Cause that's the only way you're going to get any practice might be a doe. So what, now you know what a doe looks like, you know how it walks and you'll get that experience. It might be a spike horn buck. If you can kill a spike horn or yielding crotch horn buck tracking, you've accomplished way more than sitting in a stand in a bean field and shooting a 180 inch buck. I'm telling you, it's, it's more of an accomplishment. I tell people that, true. everybody's into the trophy hunting, but that's a trophy. A spike horn, a yielding buck being tracked by a new tracker, is a trophy. So that's where you start. It doesn't don't. If you're trying to start on the biggest track in the woods, you're going to get discouraged because guess what? They're the smartest ones. They've been chased by coyotes and everything else, and maybe other hunters for a lot of years. And you, you're going to be pretty lucky to kill one of them if you're new at it. You know. So my, my guideline to tell people is if you've got a track that's, I call them three by three, if you've got a track that's the toe prints three inches long and two and a half to three inches wide, that's what I call a 200 pounder. And I call it an either or, might be 190, might be 210, because you can't tell exactly how much they weigh by the track. And again, they lose a lot of weight during the season, so it depends what time of year it is. Because them bucks that are either or, they they might weigh two hundred the first week of the season. By Thanksgiving, they're going to weigh one hundred and seventy-five. Same deal. See what I mean? So it's the same. It's the same buck. The same trophy's got the same rack, but he they ain't going to weigh as much later on. You know.
2: Absolutely. But,
0: Three by three track is a good guideline. If they're that big, you're probably on something that's going to dress 200 or better. But all the bucks up here in the north don't, some of them will never weigh 200 pounds dressed. Kill, I've had clients kill a lot of bucks, good mature bucks with good racks. They weigh 165, 175 because they're real short deer. They ain't any longer than the doe. That's just their body structure. Like people, you know, there's tall, lanky ones, short, squat ones, short, thin ones. They're different sizes, too. So, but you just have to kind of make your educated guess and go, and uh, that's it. You ain't going to be looking for horns too much before you shoot.
2: So when you get on that track. You might have
0: two seconds to shoot.
2: That's true. That's true. So when you get on that track, like, how fast are you moving? Like, what do you, how are you, like, when you're going through the woods, you're not running through the woods. Like, you're just slowly watching to see how those tracks space out, how they come together, what those deer are doing. Like, how do you go about that?
0: Yeah. um, No, I don't run. I never run. The only time I ever run is if I hear one go and I know there's, a you know, like a bluff and I can run out to the edge, but I don't run in the woods. But I I got a pretty good stride and I walk as fast as I can. You know, my my good stride, I don't waste no time until I catch up to him. And again, it's very rare that you'll pick up a track that's just made. You know what I mean? It's usually when you pick up a track in the morning, it's frozen solid. It was made sometime during the night and you got to catch up to that buck. He might be a mile away and he might be seven or eight miles away but you don't know until you get going and read the track. And if you don't go as quickly as you can, you may never catch up to them that day. So you never, you're never in the game, you know. A Lot of guys get on a track and they, I call it Elma Fudden, you know, they, they, they're looking around every tree and they're poking along real slow. They're never gonna catch up to that deer. So I move until till I catch up or I think I'm. I think he's laying down. Usually they feed before they lay down, especially early in the season. And then that's my indication they're laying down. That's when I slow down and try to catch them laying in their bed. If I do, I do. If I don't, I don't. I don't care if I they jump. If I, if, I get, if I get them when they jump up and run, I don't care. It can... Usually still get a whack if I don't. Now I got a fresh track to go on, just as good. I've killed most of the bucks probably in the second chance anyways. Second time I catch up to them is when I usually get them. If I don't get them right off, you know. After that, they know you're after them. So when I I jump them, I don't get them that first time I catch up. I uh I wait a half an hour and I eat a sandwich. Because they're gonna go off and watch your backtrack to see if anything's coming. Usually it's a coyote. The coyote will keep ch- will chase them as soon as they go. So if they wait for 15, 20 minutes and nothing comes along, they just mosey on about their business again, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then that's when they're not as wary. You know, then if they're on their feet it's a lot easier than killing them when they're on their feet than they are laying in the bed behind a fir tree, peeking around, you know, that's all it is. Simple as that. And
2: and you don't, but you, so a lot of people talk about how big bucks will actually circle around and come back up their track. Like how do you, how do you go about doing like, or that doesn't happen
0: or. Anything can happen, but. Too many people think all bucks do the same thing, and they don't. I've had guys tell me that bucks always travel in a clockwise manner. Then I've had guys tell me they always travel counterclockwise, and I'm like, where do you come up with that stuff? <laughs>
1: yeah, I want to see how they, they come up with that. They go where
0: they go. No, I mean, ridiculous stuff. But the, other, the same thing, they people think they circle back around to see what you are. They very rarely do that. Very, very rarely. The most, usually what they'll do is if you, if you've been on them all day, if you get one going in the morning, you might come full circle by the end of the day. And he's made a loop for probably 10 or 15 miles and you end up back where you started from, which is great because then you ain't too far from the truck, but they will do that. They'll make a great, big, huge circle for the day. You might've jumped them five or six times and they finally end up back where they wanted to be, you know, Mm -hmm. but they just go where they want to go. There's no rhyme to reason to it.
2: That's So along
0: the way, we have to just try to figure out what they're doing and then react to it. And the the real thing is all is it's why I love tracking because a couple of reasons. It's fun challenging but you always learn in the woods and where the where the bucks travel because all of not all the bucks but most of the bucks in any piece of woods there's certain places they travel through where they cross paths and you're going to learn all those when you follow a buck right
2: mm-hmm.
0: so and the other thing is what we I got to say in this there's, tra- there's track followers and there's trackers. The track followers don't know what they're doing really. And it's okay because if you're learning, you're just really a track follower in the beginning. But to be a tracker, you have to be able to complete the task. Not every time because nobody does. But you have to be able to get to where you, you know what's going on most of the time. You know them bucks ain't easy to kill, but if you keep doing the right thing and repeat it day after day after day, the law of average is gonna catch up to you. He's gonna make a mistake. You'll catch him in the right place. Believe me, usually you're two minutes late, five minutes early, the timing is off. But what you do and what you have to learn to be a tracker is that you have to learn to, to what that buck's life is because it's written in the snow for you everything a buck does is written right down in the snow it's like reading a book you see how he's walking how fast he's walking you see where he's going you see he fed you see he rubbed you see he made a scrape you see he checked those it's all written in the snow and then all you got to do is is react to it and figure out how you're gonna hunt that buck because he's doing that right, and where he might, where you might catch him, where he might slow down, where he might lay down, all of those things written right in the snow. Just but have it to ain't easy on. to figure it out.
2: Yeah, that's like uh, so. I watched the the video that you did this year for the uh, Brutus, the buck that you killed this year, and like you were on that deer for well, two- that
0: was was two years ago
2: two years okay
0: i didn't get the one i shot last year filmed that one i call master gun and uh i didn't have a cameraman with me because we didn't have snow i shot that one on bare ground i walked up it was just one of them things i was hunting a ridge because i was i'd run into a bunch of chasing the week before when we had a little snow I wanted to hunt that ridge again. There was a bunch of does on it, peak of the rut. So I went down one ridge, I was going to cross to get to the other ridge and I ran smack into this buck making a rub. I didn't know he was until he bolted like, right in a thick slashing in in a cut. Probably was 20 yards from him when he whirled. I see a rack, look big, disappeared and I see white flicking down through the woods and I I gave him one. I I said to myself, "If I hit that buck, that was some lucky friggin' shooting there. Yeah, good shooting." I walked over there, and he's laying there. Knocked him flat. Hit him back of the neck. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so Brutus was two years ago. Yep. And uh, so anyway, what was you going to say about it? You watched oh, it? Oh, was it any yeah, good? I
2: watched it. You you uh, you you said you were on him for two days.
0: Yeah which is rare. I usually don't ever do that because it was muzzleloader season and they're tired. I knew this buck was tired. All he wanted to do was lay down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had three days in the season. I said, I'll get him. if I keep after him. And I did the, the morning. I think I shot him at 11 o'clock the second day. I didn't yeah. get on him until 10:30 the first day tracked him till dark get on him the next morning and shot him at 11 the next day.
2: I thought that the best part of that whole entire thing is that you, do you always start a fire after you kill a deer?
0: No, not always. But that was kind of like, it was cold. It was about 10 degrees. It was 11 o'clock. I didn't have to worry about getting them out. We weren't that far out. You. You see, I got I had my snowmobile mm-hmm. in the truck because I said, at least we can get them out. There was so much snow in the road, you couldn't drive in a lot of them. So I wanted to relax a little bit, but I I quite often might have a fire in the woods, but not always after I shoot a buck. Sometimes you're trying to think, geez, I got to get this thing out of here, you know, so you're mm-hmm. in more of a hurry, but just felt right it was the right time of day have a sandwich have a little fire
2: i just Relax. thought that right? when i when i saw Take that all I, in. I thought that it was just incredible because you know exactly that you took it all in you sat there and you just enjoyed it man like there is no more enjoyment out of even of, of what you did you just sat with the buck ate a sandwich relaxed and just really took in the day and it was just I don't think a lot of people do stuff like that anymore. You know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a lost thing.
1: Well, it almost seems like oh, everybody nowadays Every- jumps right into trying to try and, uh, how quick can we get this on social media and celebrate and look at me and ooh and awe over this instead of appreciating what you did.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I'm old school. I didn't, that's the way I grew up doing that stuff, you know, and, Yeah, I think, oh, a lot of it's TV and, you know, and and video and stuff. And I mean, some of it's good, but everybody's too much in a competition now. And it's, I tell people, people have asked me, ain't you afraid of teaching everybody how to track? They'll kill all the deer. And I go, no, because they're not going to do it anyway. About 5% of them will do it, you know. Exactly. We'll even try it. Yeah, so I figure um, in a way, I figure I'm obligated to pass it on to the next generation, you know, because it's a tracking is really, I mean, it's pretty localized out here. And it's, if you don't pass it on, it'll be a dying art. and Everybody will be sitting in tree stands and stuff, you know,
2: mm-hmm. especially for the big woods. Well, I want to, I kind of want to know, especially hunting in the big woods, like what's probably one of the most craziest experiences that you've had while tracking or one of the craziest hunts that you've had while tracking.
0: Oh, geez. I don't know. I've had a lot of crazy ones guiding when guys miss a bucket. 50 yards standing broadside. That seems kind of crazy to me, but I've seen it happen. I tell people if... If I had the bucks on my wall that I've seen get away, make my wall look sick. Just watch them get away because the clients muff it up. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. But I don't know about crazy. I mean, a lot of the crazy stuff would be places that a buck will take you that you're like, you got to be kidding me. Because you would never think that bucks would do some of the things they do. I've seen them jump off a cliff several times. I mean, I don't mean slide down. I mean, get to a cliff and they want to get down over it. And it's all fir trees, you know, growing straight up the side and just jump. And all you see is where they cleared the snow off the trees going down, slide to a stop at the bottom, get up, keep walking. Can't even get there. I got to go around and get down off of the cliff to get back on the track. Jeez. Because they get there and their destination is straight ahead and they ain't going to take the time to go around. Mm-hmm. Right off the cliff. 20, 30 feet down. Seen it quite a few times. That's wow. crazy stuff they do. Yeah. The other things they do is things like uh, because they used to hear the coyote. Every Every deer in the big wood is not they don't know what hunters really are because there's so much woods is, I mean, places maybe that get hunted more, some of the bucks have been tracked before, but a lot of them have never been tracked by a hunter. But they've been chased and followed by coyotes a lot, you know, so everything they do, their escape mechanism is from escaping from coyotes year round, right? And the first thing they do, Is go to water. Water is their escape mechanism because they can't smell them if they get it, swim across the pond, lake, walk down a stream. So I had a buck once. This was really crazy. I jumped him out of a thicket. I had no, I didn't even see him. He laid right in a tight thicket there and he ran down off a mountain and he got to this pretty good sized stream, probably. 30 yards across, fast running, not real deep. I could get across. And he went down that stream to, total. He got out a couple times, but he went down that stream probably a mile, right in the water, walked right down the stream. He was a big one too, but he, he did it because he knew something was after him and that's how he could get away. I've had a lot of them get in stream. Some of them might go 50 yards or a hundred yards, walk up a trickle and things like that. But that one, he, he'd get out of the stream. First time he did, he was right there. I, I see where he, I said, he, there was a cross in there. And I, and I knew about it and I said, he, I bet he would get out right there. Sure enough, I went across and he was, I just bad time. And he was right there when I come up out of the stream. He took off again. He ran down through the alders and jumped right back in the stream again. Went for another half a mile. Yeah. Nah. It's,
2: that's a tough one to get back on though. Because they're using the stream and all that. Well, you've Yeah. You,
0: yeah. You just got to keep looking for the tracks on both sides, you know, because you don't know. Usually when they get in a stream, they're going to cross it. So they're going to get out on the other side. So usually I walk the other side first. If it's a big stream, usually it's most likely it's a small trickle type stream where you can, it's not over your boots. You can walk down it. And then I usually walk right down the stream and look both sides. And then I can see if any water is dripped on a rock or a log or something, you know, when they cross, and then I know he's still going down the stream and, Just wait for them to get out, get on it again. That's where most people are done. See this, it's all part about being a track or a track follower. People give up on a track too easy. It crosses a stream, it gets to a road and they don't want to go across the road. I mean, it's, there's all kinds of reasons, but the tracks get tangled in, they get chasing does and it's all a mess of tracks. Most people quit on it, but you don't need to. There's ways to figure it out, you know.
2: Is it tough with clients, like doing it tracking with clients because of that reason? Like they just kind of want to give up at some point, and and you just like you got to keep no, going. No,
0: when they're with me, they don't. No, no, they don't. They don't have that. They don't. They just relying on me. If they're with me, they don't. They're going to go where I go, and they ask the questions and why, which is fine. They want to learn, but. But the thing that with clients is I've always told them to be in shape, like you're going to go on a sheep hunt because we got mountains here. And if it's not mountains, the ridges are steep. And if you can't get up over a ridge without stopping six times to huff and puff, you ain't never going to catch up to that buck, right? Because you can't, you can't run as fast as a buck can walk. You're always losing ground on a buck unless he stops to do something. People don't realize that you can't, there's no,
2: that's keep moving. no matter what they just don't get it. That's, yeah, that's, that's nuts. It. It's, it's, it's just so it's mind blowing to me because I know what the big woods is up there. And a lot of people don't understand it. And they wonder why, like we're crazy because we have the mountains or we have this and like Stevens in Virginia. And it's kind of the same exact thing. Like, it makes hunting so much harder of having so much woods.
0: It, the snow is the level is levels, the playing field. Cause you know, one thing about getting on a buck track, it's a sure bet. There's a buck at the other end of it. Pretty much guaranteed, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I need. If I keep following that track, I'm coming to a buck eventually. So that's why I do it. It's easier than wandering around that's in the nice. big woods with a so deer how many, about four per square mile to try to find one.
2: So how many deer do you think that you've shot tracking?
0: Ugh. I don't know. myself most of them are in that book i wrote that's about my stories 25 stories on the track but i've shot other ones that weren't in there before i had a starting point on that and went from there but with clients you know a lot more so i don't know probably i wrote that book a few years ago probably I don't know, 30, 35 myself and probably another 40 or 50 with clients tracking, you know?
2: Wow. That's nuts.
1: That That's impressive in itself because Big Wood Bucks, you know, you hear the old timers that live up there. They may have two or three under their belt, no brag about it. So to put that number to what you're doing, it's... That's pretty serious. That's substantial.
0: Well, I got a law. I am one of them old fellows. I'm sixty four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're. I know I don't look it, right? I'll, no, I'll not, not a day it. over twenty five.
2: No.
1: <laughs> you were. What's the word I um, want to look for here? You were the uh, the abnormality that went a little harder, took the tougher route, and got the better results.
0: Exactly. I tell people when I do seminars, I'm like, I'm no different than the rest of you, except that I put more effort into it. That's it. Most people quit. I already told you that most people give up. It was never in my nature to give up. I never, I mean, I, you have to, it's a certain point in the day you have to give up, but I mean, I don't give up for other reasons. You know what I mean? And if I did, it was because it might, I might start out on a buck. I'm not necessarily interested in, but I'm thinking it might take me to a bigger one. So then I give up on the, the one I wasn't really interested in anyway. But when I get on the buck, I want to shoot. I ain't, I don't, I go as long as I can in the day, take the trudge out at night, start over again the next day. And it just repeat the process over and over and over and sometimes i shoot them on the first day i go and that brutus buck was at the end of a long season i guided two weeks then i hunted i hunted hard for the last two weeks a rifle i gave one a haircut another great big heavy beamed one he jumped i had one jump he jumped across an opening in the furs and i just swung in there and fired but he was going downhill more than i thought and i I shaved a hair off his back and I just kept going and uh, got lucky cutting that track and that's what it's about. I got the right track on the right day and that's it. But when I wrote my first book, I had all my experiences was mostly from guiding because I have always guided And a lot of the hunts were with clients, but I figured out I only got to hunt in between guiding. I used to guide all four weeks and usually took muzzle loader off, but it averaged out. I averaged out when I wrote the first book, it was three days, three days of hunting for every buck I killed, which, Like I said, sometimes it was the first day, sometimes it was the second, might be the fifth or sixth, but it averaged out to three days, three days to kill one. So, ain't bragging about it, it's just, anybody can do that if they learn it, you know, there's a lot of other guys like me up here, they just, nobody knows about them, you know, I got mm -hmm. a lot of good friends and a lot of the guys on my Bigwoods teams that do the same thing, you know, so... I know it's for people that have never done it. It's hard to comprehend it, but it's like anything else. If you get good at it, then it's, I don't. I never say it's easy, but it's easier, right? When you know what to do all the time, it it's easier.
2: Now you just you referenced to your big your Bigs Woods team. What exactly is the Big Woods team?
0: Well, it's a team of guys we've put together that are like-minded. They hunt the big woods, they track, and they're successful at it. Because when I first started, the way I got started was that the hunters at my lodge kept egging me on to write a book, so I did. And then after I wrote the book, it was a pretty big success because we sold 10,000 copies in six months and um, my business partner now, Chris, him and his buddy, were my first two deer hunting clients, 19, I think they came in 1990, 1990 I think, or 91. And Chris said, Hey, let's, uh, what do you think about starting a, I'll get a camera and I'll film you and kind of make try to make a business out of it. And I said, Yeah, that sounds fine to me. And so I had to clear it with my client. Some of them wanted was okay with being filmed, some weren't, which was fine. That's kind of how we started with that. When I started getting invited to do seminars at the trade shows, I knew people weren't relating to me because again, I was younger then. I was in my well. Oh, my 40s and people would look at me i'm six foot three weigh 195 pounds and they say that lanky son of a bitch can probably run them mountains but i can't do it and i knew it i could see the look on their face and guys sitting there you know because everybody's different shapes and sizes and uh i said to chris i said these guys i know they could do it if they wanted to but I think they just didn't think they could. I could, I could tell. So they started initially my team was the guides that I'd hired for deer hunting because I hired them because they were good deer hunters and in the woods, right? So that's, and still, and still a lot of them do guide for me again. I mean, I don't, for deer I have more guides. Now I have my team members that guide. And, uh, but I have other team members that don't guide. But they're good deer hunters. And I have guys now, I wanted like I told you, I wanted this to carry on generational. So I've got guys my age, I got a few team members, actually, there's two that are older than me. There's Mike Stevens is I think he's 60 think 67 or 66 67 he's a couple of years older than me. Then I got another guy that's 70 or 71 or something maybe right around there still spry as anything, gets around the woods and and then I've got some guys in the fit in their 50s, some guys in their 40s, some guys in their 30s and a couple of guys in their 20s. All different shapes and sizes, walks of life, but they all hunt in the big woods and they're all good at it. So somebody out there can relate to somebody on the team. So now I don't have to answer all the questions because now some of the, once they're exposed, some of the guys out there relate to somebody better than they do me for one reason or the other. And that's the way it works. See, they can relate to somebody on the team. And I don't call my team a pro staff. Cause that's not what they are. They're on my team and they do things on the team, like write articles to uh, film. Some of them, some of them edit, some of them do social media, a couple of them do the podcast with me. So, you know, it's a team, team effort, right. To try to, teach people this stuff
2: incredible that's awesome that you put together a team i mean it's kind of like i just like to hear about it because like you said it is a dying breed it's not something that really is is done and it's only done in such a small niche area you can't just track deer in the snow anywhere you know you're not gonna do it in the midwest and you're not gonna do it down here in connecticut i mean you could i guess you could do it here we do it a little bit on some public land but a lot of times they'll run off of it or what whatever but there's very small areas to do it so it's kind of cool to see that that you're trying to keep the the sport alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I got to pass it on. That's right. So we've got a pretty good following. I mean, I I guess the biggest indicator now is the because the, the Facebook numbers don't mean crap anymore because if you don't if you don't buy, you know, pay for you all the stuff they want you to pay for. You don't get no reach. You know what I mean? They control Mm -hmm. you. Right. So we don't go by that, but a pretty good number. I I still think we got 20 something thousand followers on Facebook and I don't know if it's good or bad, but we have, I think Chris told me it's like over 12,000 downloads on our podcast now. Wow. So that's pretty good indication. That's a pretty good follower. And then some people from all over the world, I've had, I've had guys ask me questions. I had a guy email me from Sweden about moose hunting because he heard the podcast and he heard we moose hunt. I've got a guy that booked a deer hunt from Australia because he hunts, he hunts some kind of deer that's there and they believe you know they have snow in australia oh yeah they got snow in australia in the mountains yep yeah and it's in the summer when we have summer
1: yeah it's there when they
0: hunt these deer that are samba deer they imported them from india years ago and they're a dark colored deer with horns kind of like a sitka deer but bigger you know like a like the Sitka deer they have in Maryland, that type of mm-hmm. horn, like kind of elky type horns. Yep. Yeah. So he wanted to come here and learn how to track so he can track his Samba deer out there. That's incredible. So You, you know, it's funny. You reach out people from all over that are interested. We got a big contingency from now from the Midwest, like, because there is good tracking, like the UP of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Right. Those are places you can track big pieces of woods. We got a big contingency in Canada too. A lot of Ontario guys, Quebec guys following us. They want to do the same thing. They want to learn it. Yeah. That's awesome. So we'll teach it to anybody that wants to learn, you know?
2: Absolutely. Well, Hal, I do have one last question for you, man. And that's, it's something we ask everybody and something that comes right from the heart. And that is, what drives you outdoors, Hal?
0: What drives me? Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You mean drives me outdoors?
2: Yeah, other than your car.
0: (laughs) You know, it's... What's that?
2: I said other than your car.
0: Other than my car, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It, uh, like I said, since I was a little kid, I was just always wanting to be in the woods. And I don't know why. I cannot explain why. But... I roamed the woods from five years old, believe it or not. Cause back then we could, I mean, we didn't have to be until the street light come on at night or be in for supper and we could go out in the summer until the street light come on different time back then, back in the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, but I just always was crazy about it. So, and I still am and I'm older, so I have to do a few things different. I have to pace myself a little more. I can still walk all day. I don't have the strength I had 10 years ago, like the the body strength, nobody does when they get older, mm-hmm. but I can walk all day, every day still, no problem. 10 or 15 miles I can put on every day. I need my rest at night and I need to eat, but I can still walk all day. And so I, I don't really, I'm just driven by being out there in the deer hunting to me. Everybody says, is deer hunting your favorite? Yes. And deer hunting in Maine is my favorite. They asked me, oh, you must like it in Ontario better. There's more deer. Well, there ain't now, but I'm like, no, I like hunting right here in the big woods of Maine. I've hunted a lot of places from Ontario to Montana and Michigan and Minnesota. and I've hunted all in places here. Not New Hampshire, not in Vermont, but here, because there's so much woods. You don't have to see another hunter if you don't want to. And I'm comfortable in the woods and I just like being in the woods. And and I'm, I'm not there just to kill a deer. It's, it's uh, people lose sight of that. I'm there just to be in the woods. And if the hunt's right and it's the right buck and I want to shoot that buck, I will. I pass up more bucks than you can imagine because it ain't the one I want or wasn't circumstances I want, but I'm out there for the enjoyment. I just come back from Alaska. Everybody goes, gee, sorry, you didn't get a moose. I'm like, I didn't go with the intention of shooting a moose. I went the intention of having a good time with my buddy, a camera, one of my cameramen His dream was to shoot a moose for 20, the last 20 years. He wanted to film me. I said, no, Jason, you're going to, you're going to be up the bat first. I said, I've seen a couple of hundred moose die. I don't seem to see another one die. Right. So you're going to hunt first. And if you get one and there's a chance for me to shoot one, it would have to be a pretty special one, but I didn't go with the intention of shooting the moose. I went with the intention of. See in Alaska again. I've been doll sheep hunting there a couple times, and it's great country, and I just wanted to be out there in the woods for 10, 12 days and enjoy it, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So I don't know if I can explain it any more beyond that than I just want to be in the woods.
1: (laughs) There is nothing (laughs) wrong with that. And I I think (laughs) you said it pretty well, and that's certainly a very respectable reason. And uh, ultimately, if you don't want to be there, you shouldn't be there. So I think that's something we can all get behind.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, before we let you go, can you tell everybody uh, where they can find you, how they can watch your stuff, how to get a hold of you if they're interested?
0: Well, if you Google my name, I'll come up the first thing anyway, but it's Big Woods Box is our website, Facebook page, YouTube, not YouTube. Yeah. YouTube channels, big woods box And the podcast is a big woods box podcast. So it's pretty easy getting it through big woods box, go to the website. If anybody's interested in learning my, my first book and my second book is combined into a, and I colorized it now we've redone it. So volume one and two is in one book all full color, and that's the book to read if you wanna learn how to hunt the big woods. It's not just about tracking. There's chapters on stand placement, still hunting, tracking, navigating. It's everything you need to know. I call it a system. I really developed a system. I didn't know it until I had several people come to me that didn't even know each other came to me from different angles and said, you know, you know what you do? He says, you have a system, the way you hunt different people told me that. And I never thought of it that way, but they were right because the things I do, I just do them and repeat them and it's repeatable and anybody can do it. If you follow the system, I lay it out in that. When I re- when I revised the book, the first chapter is about the system and the steps in the system, and then it starts out. The first is navigation, because if you can't navigate with a map and a compass, you ain't going to even do it in the first place. So that's even, you know, it's like the first step is if you if you ain't willing to learn how to use a map and compass and get comfortable in the woods, you ain't going to hunt in the big woods. You just ain't going to do it. You're going to get in there a quarter of a mile. And you're going to look around, you're going to say, I guess I'll get out of here. You go back out to the road.
1: Easy enough. Well, guys, that brings us to the easy. the yeah. close of another great episode. And, uh, Hal, we want to thank you for jumping on and giving us your time. It's really good information. Yep,
0: yeah, my pleasure.
1: And everybody out there that's facing the big wood scenario, I highly recommend you jump in and follow along. Get this information. It could change your game, and it's very applicable in a lot of different places in a way that a lot of us haven't ever considered. So take the time, educate yourself a little more, and who knows, you may find a new avenue that you can take, and it may just go through and get you set up for that buck of a lifetime. So we just want to make sure that you guys have a good hunt this season. Everything goes well, and thank you again, Hal.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Good luck on the trail, everyone.
2: All right. We almost actually forgot. Uh, We didn't plug sponsors in this. So what we'll do is we'll run through the list real quick, guys. If you guys haven't already, get on over to Nor'easter Game Calls, com. Get yourself your custom Evolution Series or your Outdoor Series Grunt Tube. Deer season is on its way. It's right around the corner. Also, New Era Archery, the official broadhead of the Outdoor Drive podcast. That is the Zeus Broadhead. That's what me and Stephen are both shooting. Go and get on neweraarchery.com and get yourself – your own. I am tongue twisted like a mofo. Gator <laughs> Outdoors, GatorOutdoors.com. Outfitting the working class and be the reason. Dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Out on the limb, out on the limb, MFG.com. Get yourself a podium, a uh, uh, Ridge Runner, Ridge Runner XL, a uh, camera arm, you name it, the Hush Tree Stand, the best in the line, out on the limb, MFG.com. Also, Latitude Outdoors, they are the home of the Method 2 saddle. If you haven't been in a two-part panel saddle, you're missing out on life. Get over to Latitude Outdoors and order yours today. All right, now you guys can go home.